For Geocast Talk, whether at work, in the car, wherever you are, we hope you enjoy the show. Please go like and subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Pocket Cast, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, and now Spotify. You get all the weekly Geocast Talk goodness. Big thanks to the Trial Bugs for the music and our patrons Demon Hunter 2, Aggie Jedi Master, Electric Waterboy, Antaeus, Joshua, the Geocaching Vlogger, Nick at Cashley, One Kind Word, Ravenclaw Tia, Shermanator 18, Butterfly Girl, Loon Trackers, The Aussie Geocacher, Sodak Zack, The Deadliest Cachers, Terrell 2, Terrell 2, Neil Moore, Team D&D, Geocaching Adam, Peachy 1276, The No Code Geocachers, Curiosity Girl, Tick Magnet, Marsipanic, Bricker John, Firesafe, F.S. Abero, Geo Rick, Cash Addict Mel, Geocaching Janji, The Geocaching Junkie, Sir Dremelot, Janice, Tricasius, Tom Frey, Rugles, The Bruce Zero, EGK, PBR, Casamaya, Master Sergeant, USMC, Little Gears, Albedo 0.39, It's Only Barney, Purple Turtles 3, and ACDC Family. If you'd like to become a patron, head on over to patreon.com slash talk for more details. Patrons get path tags, Coins, swag, and new exclusive videos, as well as invites to special events only for patrons. Support levels start at as little as $3 a month. Well, let me start. We've got a big show tonight, as we usually do, but tonight we have a very special show. So let me start by welcoming my co-host, Jesse. Good evening, and we've already got the chat room fired up for uh, Planetary <laughs> Pursuit, and everybody's ready. Somebody said Miss Pac-Man forever already. So, All right. I think they know what's going hey. on tonight. Do they put Ms. Pac-Man or Miss Pac-Man? Oh, you know what? I better double check. Better check, because there was uh, – that's that's interesting – I guess an interesting story. M-S. No period, no R. Yeah, that's Ms. Okay. Yeah. All right, well, let's jump right to show 92 <laughs> for April 1st. Welcome back to the show, Doug McCray. Welcome back to Geocache Talk. Thank you, Gary. Good to see you. Yes, good to see you too, man. Um, we're gonna do some news, and we're gonna we're gonna do um, we're gonna do we're gonna talk a lot of cool stuff. So, I need to start with a name correction, and we just lost Doug. I'm sure he'll oh. be back here in a moment. Yeah, he, he pushed the wrong button. He'll be back in a second, which gives us time to do a little bit of news. Um, so last week. I, um, of course, we. you know, you know me, I botched names. There's Doug. He's There's Doug. Um, so the news, um, as so Doug, as you probably heard on a few of the shows we've done and Jesse knows this very well, if there's a wrong way to say a GC name, I'm going to find it. And so I found one we talked about last week and I pronounced it all wrong. And so I'm going to fi- fix it tonight. Terra Viators, not Terra Viators or anything else. It's Terra Viators. I think it's like Aviators, but they're they're cashers, so they they're doing Terra, so it's Terra Viators. 
So, Gary, I'll, I'll let you off the hook a little bit. I think I butchered it worse than you did. <laughs> well, I don't know. I... And then I tried to correct it, which made it even worse. It made it even worse? Yep. So I said it like three different ways wrong. Oh, well. So... That's okay. We're correct. That's all right. Um, so another quick note. Um, we did get a blog in recently, and I just want to mention again, if you've got a blog uh, with a B, uh, send it in. Um, you can send it to geocachetalk at gmail.com, and we will get it over to geocaching Janji. Uh, Angie's the one who's taking care of those for us and she's doing a fantastic job of managing that as well as managing our Instagram and we have um, Instagram winner tonight we'll talk about who wins the coin the very cool coin that, that Doug had made gosh Doug you've made that it's been a while back now so uh, do you remember when I think it's about six years old now six coin. years now wow I love this coin. Yeah, There's uh, something cool about the... Anyway. Very rare, limited coin, too. Very sought-after <laughs> coin. Very sought-after. Yeah. <laughs> you can't make any more of them. No, I'm kidding, Doug. Um, <laughs> <laughs> don't make any more of them. They're, they're very, very, very rare. Uh, all right. So over to uh, Jesse, who gives a, our webcam watch. So not much has changed, so that's a good thing. We're still mm-hmm. at 114 in the United States, 279 total and four disabled so those four are staying disabled hopefully at least they haven't disappeared right it'd be nice if they came back but at least they haven't disappeared so far well that's something and when something we keep pushing for we'd love to see webcams come back um i don't know maybe a limited release like they did yeah. you know with uh, i would assume that wouldn't be till 2019 but even if they did that would be pretty neat yeah just I to mean, keep the old ones fresh right and the old, um, you know, the, the, we haven't talked about it yet too much, but the uh, virtuals they put out last, last year are going to not be, uh, they're going to go, they're going to go out here pretty soon where you can't do them. So that's another stroke. No, no, no. We, we yes. You can't put, let's make sure we say this right before we get a, a mob mm-hmm. on our hands. The limited 4,000 they released is a time limit to release. Right. To publish. Time limit to publish. They're not going away, though, the ones that are published. No, 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 no. But if you want to get if you want to get one out, if you were if you were we're going to get some hate mail. Yeah. <laughs> if you were given one and you want to put it out, you got There's a, there's a limited time to publish it. So, sorry. Right, right. Right. Good. 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 I, I don't even know what they're up to now for the numbers on that. Um, I'll look it up here in a minute. We got on, we got on our website. So. All right. Enough of that. Let's get into the the show with Doug. Good stuff. Um, but Doug, we're gonna get into the seventh continent discussion in a minute. But um, show twenty eight, and it's been a while now uh, since show twenty eight. That was back December eighteenth of twenty sixteen. Doug was on the show, and we talked about the whole Ms. Pac Man and his, his days at MIT. Ah, the young college <laughs> days, right, Doug? <laughs> A long, long time ago. Oh, no, that long ago? Well, okay, maybe. It's been a while, I understand. It's been a long time for me, too. Um, so we're not going to get into – we're not going to do the whole show over again of that one. Go watch show 28 to get a lot of that. But I do want to talk about a couple things. One is uh, an article I found that was uh, published fairly recently um, with FastCompany.com, which has uh, – I think it's some cool articles on FastCompany.com. Um, it came out in um, December um, called The MIT Dropouts Who Created Ms. Pac-Man, <laughs> a, th- a 35th anniversary uh, oral history. Um, 
I thought that was a great article. Uh, I don't know. Did you did you did you enjoy that article that they? Yes, it was actually quite well done. Uh, they Good. contacted a few of us to get comments, and I think that's why they called it an oral history. Okay, uh, but it was being done uh, thirty five years after the fact, and so all of our memories were a little foggy. Uh, trying to pull together what exactly what happened back then was. Uh, quite interesting, and uh, I think it uh, built a, the good story, uh, understood what we all went through at the time and uh, all the challenges we faced. Yeah, uh, um, it, it, I, I loved it. I, was, I thought that was fascinating, uh, and I do. I think they got from you and I discussions, I, I, and you, of course, you know, like you said, I think they got a lot of it correct, but um, talk, talk a little bit about um, just for the folks that haven't seen that show or have really haven't uh, heard much uh, from you about the, uh, the history. So talk a little bit about the paying your way through college. Sure. Um, I'll try doing a Ms. Pacman history in maybe five minutes. Uh, there so you go. Perfect. Talk fast. That's fine. Um, so it started off, uh, I was uh, a sophomore at MIT and I started a business to operate a pinball machine on campus. And pinball machine obviously had people dropping quarters in and the quarters uh, would then be split the money between me and our dorm that I was in. Uh, the money went into the party fund. So I didn't really mind it happening there because the dorm then threw great parties. Mm -hmm. um, but I then uh, was doing quite well with that. Bought a second pinball machine, brought on a partner, bought a video game, bought another video game. And by our senior year, we were up to 20 machines on campus and we were operating them and paying our full MIT tuition out of quarters. Uh, mm -hmm. We were not literally paying it in quarters. <laughs> uh, you have a little note here that uh, $20 in quarters weighs a pound. Uh, we were known at times to have as many as $2,000 worth of quarters in our backpack. Uh, so we, we were carrying a, a hundred pounds of quarters to the bank. Uh, <laughs> deposited that into our checking account and then paid our tuition uh, that way. Uh, but it was interesting times of us operating these games on campus. And by our senior year, we thought we were on the wrong end of this. Hauling around these hundred pound sacks, even though they're worth $2,000, uh, was still a lot of effort. Uh, we wanted to get in, involved in the design of them. And so rather than going anywhere on spring break, we decided to start writing video games. And the very first game we did was an enhancement kit to the game Missile Command, an old Atari game where you had to defend cities from inter intercontinental ballistic missiles. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then the second game we did was an enhancement kit to the game Pac-Man. And our desire here was to be able to sell this enhancement kit such that a game would last much longer for an operator. Right. Uh, Pac-Man had its issues. You could play it almost forever or actually forever once you memorized the mazes and learned that the monsters always did the exact same thing every time. And it got boring. So we added some new features and got rid of the pattern play that people had and created uh, an enhancement kit to the game Pac-Man uh, such that it would solve those issues. Uh, we, long story short, ended up licensing that to uh, Bally Midway in Chicago, and uh, they started producing the game Ms. Pac-Man, which became the largest selling video game in the history of North America, uh, actually passing Pac-Man in its first year. 
Yeah, and um, it, everyone needs to. It is a fascinating story of just. It's it's very cool about the business of of the video games. The 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 you know the. There's a lot of there's a lot of neat things in there, Doug. That I think, um, at least I found, because I, I I grew up going to the the gold mine uh, place is what it was called in our local mall and playing, you know, Missile Command and all those all those various games. And uh, um, I don't think they ever had any enhancement kits, which I think a, was a cool idea that you guys did that because it really did. Um, well, you know. Uh, it, it it really did kind of expand uh, this idea behind um, what you could do with changing the, you know changing the game a little bit, and um, you know again um, you might not have realized that there was an enhancement kit in some been. of those games. Um, what mm -hmm. what would happen to a operator is a brand new arcade game which he just paid twenty five hundred dollars for would pull in maybe five hundred dollars a quarter the first week. Right. And so the quick conclusion was, I'll pay this off in five weeks, except for as people got better at the game, they played longer. And as they got bored, they didn't play as often. And so the next week was at 400. And the next week was at 300. And so the enhancement kits were being put out such that that problem could be solved. Right. So the first one we did, uh, Super Missile Attack, we sold for $300. Uh, we manufactured them in our basement uh, of the house we were renting while going to school right. and so, uh, sold them for $300. It cost about $30 to make. And uh, during our uh, spring semester of our senior year, we sold about a thousand of these. Oh, wow. Um, out of the back of a trade journal, uh, took out a full page color ad. Uh, but it was like a junior achievement product, uh, project on steroids. Right. Uh, we made a quarter million dollars uh, and said, hey, this is fun. So we went on and started uh, the second one, which was the one for Pac-Man, which became Miss Pac-Man. Right, which is funny because uh, uh, the story about, you know, start out as or Miss was Crazy Auto. Then that that whole thing changed uh, into it a was a very very, very fast timeline that uh, when we had originally designed it as an enhancement kit, right. we did not have the trademark yet to Pac-Man. Mm -hmm. And so it was being called Crazy Auto right. uh, as the test name. And at the very last moment when we had brought it to uh, Bally Midway for licensing, they looked at it and said, sequel. And as soon as it was a sequel, it was going to have the name Pac-Man in it. Mm -hmm. So it became... Uh, Pac-Woman, and then Miss Pac-Man, and then Mrs. Pac-Man, and then Ms. Pac-Man. Uh, all a very storied history of switching between the, uh, all of them. Miss Pac-Man, M-I-S-S, stuck around for a couple of days until people realized that in the animations between the scenes, uh, Pac-Man and Miss Pac-Man had a kid. And so they had to be married. So right. it switched to Mrs. And then Women's Lib at the time switched it to Ms. And it went out as Ms. Pac-Man. Pac which was, yep, which is incredible. And um, kind of to wrap up uh, kind of our talk about uh, Pac-Man, I, I was reading in the article about um, and something that, that Jesse mentioned. He, he was familiar with uh, the, the um, cartoon that came out. Um, and I so, love that cartoon. 
Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, so, so in 1983, I believe Hanna-Barbera came out with a cartoon, the Pac family or the Pac-Man hour or whatever it was called at the time. Mm-hmm. And uh, behind the scenes, uh, we were uh, heading into court to battle out the paternity or maternity rights to the Pac family. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you remember, Pac-Man was created by Namco in Japan. We had created the mother, Ms. Pac-Man, and in the um, uh, in-between intermissions of Ms. Pac-Man, the stork brings out the baby. Right. And so we were actually in U.S. District Court in Boston arguing who owned the baby and eventually the pack dog and everyone else running around on the cartoon show. <laughs> right. And Super so um, I just remember the judge's face looking at it going, you guys are arguing about a little yellow uh, circle that runs around and we go, that's a valuable yellow circle. <laughs> it is right. Absolutely. When you start talking like that, you know, uh, so I found that interesting in the, in the article, there was a whole deal about, um, they started coming out with, and this is later on, um, they started coming out with these other things um, that that were, you know, Ms. Pac-Man, I was trying to find it in the article, but the, um, they were sort of the company um, was trying to continue using the Pac-Man, um, you know, the Ms. Pac-Man things without kind of discussing with you guys because um, they were just going to continue ma- marketing whatever they wanted to. And it's like, well, hang on a minute. <laughs> we uh, well, we kind of have to be involved in this a little bit. What, what you're referring to, Gary, is that we uh, designed Ms. Pac-Man in 1981, 1982, mm-hmm. and entered into a licensing agreement with Midway, who was a North American distributor, and with Namco, who was the owner of the original Pac-Man. Right, right. And um, video games had their heyday or the golden age from 1978 or whatever to 1984 when Atari collapsed. And at that point, uh, our company left the video game business. Uh, There was no real business left for us. Right. And so we headed off and we can talk about where we headed later. uh, But we left the industry. 20 years later, Namco, the Japanese company that owned Pac-Man, decided it would be good to put out an anniversary edition of Ms. Pac-Man. And no one was around 20 years before that signed all these marketing agreements and whatever. And it made sense for them just to assume that Ms. Pac-Man was a creation of Namco. So they started it in production and we saw one uh, out at a uh, arcade or a rest area, or I forget where it was. Mm-hmm. And we called him up and said, you realize you don't own that game. Uh, that was our design and we're due royalties on it. Right. And I think they thought it was a prank call. So <laughs> we uh, spent four years in arbitration, working out oh the details of how we should get paid. Um, the um, arcade game was one part of it, mm-hmm. but there were things now that were never envisioned 30 years ago. Uh, there were uh, games of Ms. Pac-Man being played on cell phones. Right. 30 years ago, there was not even a concept of a cell phone. So in the contract, there were discussions about electronic distribution. And so it fell under electronic distribution, but it was difficult to figure out exactly what was intended 
by a 1981 contract uh, mm -hmm. trying to outline how things would happen uh, 30 years later. So right. uh, a, lot of, a lot of time talking with lawyers and working it all out. Yep. You um, then the like you said the company moved on. I found something interesting in the article I did not know about was because um, you guys formed uh, General Computer Corporation, which went on to do uh, laser printers and a lot. Like you said, the the video game that portion of it, you know, you were ready to kind of move on from in a sense uh, as far as your your main uh, revenue generating product. Um, but I did not know this. The first internal hard drive for the Macintosh. Right. So in 1984, 1985, Atari collapsed. And so uh, Atari was our uh, major marketing company. We were licensing our games to Atari. We created 76 games, most of which were licensed to Atari and were uh, sold under the Atari name. Mm -hmm. They pretty much went out of business. So they sold the Atari game unit to Jack Tramiel of Commodore. And we looked at it and said, we have to move out of that industry. There's not enough money left in it for us. Uh, we had uh, roughly 70 engineers at the time and decided to take on a new direction. Mm -hmm. Well, in 1984, if you remember the Super Bowl, uh, the Apple Macintosh had just been rolled out. Right. Uh, they announced uh, the Macintosh in the famous 1984 commercial. And we looked at it and said, why don't we start deploying engineers to developing to this machine? Right. And so we switched uh, the engineers from working on video games to working on products for the Apple Macintosh. And I believe at the time we might have been the largest Apple Macintosh developer. Um, we uh, had people working on games. We had them working on software. And as we were doing all this, we realized that the Macintosh was too slow and uh, did not have enough uh, storage capacity mm -hmm. uh, to do our development. So we started hooking up hard drives and hooking them directly to the main microprocessor inside and said, well, we should market this. So we created a product called HyperDrive, sticking a hard drive inside of a uh, Macintosh. Right. Um, it sold for $2,000 for a 10 megabyte drive. Oh, boy. If anybody wants to think about that. Uh, we also later had a 20 megabyte drive. Oh, boy. Uh, and we <laughs> could kick up the memory. We could speed up the processor. Uh, but uh, we got into the hard drive business going inside the Apple Macintosh. Uh, that's awesome. Well, you know, that we we laugh about it now, but that's a lot. That was a lot of space back then. I I, I had one of those gigantic, um, you could carry it around in a suitcase. Macintoshes. One of my first computer, uh, you know, Apple Macintoshes was this big. It was huge, you know, and at least had a handle on it too. But I had a I had a nice uh, you know thing for it. But yeah, that's that's awesome, and um, you know, uh, just um, incredible stuff. Um, you have a note in here, TV Guide. What's the, tell us a little bit about that one. So um, I, I worked on the Apple Macintosh for quite a few years. Uh, we had a large company there making hard disks and laser printers and other products for the Apple Macintosh. Mm -hmm. And then in 1993, um, I took about half of the employees and started up a new company called Video Guide. And Video Guide was uh, a device that you would hook up to your television and bring, bring TV Guide electronically onto your television. Wow. So you could interact with TV Guide, see what was on, set up uh, your VCR to record 
uh, and get sports scores, news, and other things. And when we started selling this product through Radio Shack and Best Buys and uh, other stores, uh, and so that was our new business uh, in the mid '90s uh, of selling a product called Video Guide. That's cool. Um, uh, a year later, uh, we merged with a public company called Gemstar. Uh, it was more they acquired us because uh, they were the larger company that are public. Um, and I went on to run the consumer electronics group for Gemstar. And in the year 2000, we purchased TV Guide. Uh, so we became Gemstar TV Guide. And so I am responsible for many, many of those interactive guides that you may see uh, on televisions or in cable boxes uh, or TiVos or any of those objects uh, that contain guides. Uh, some of those patents are mine. Some of the engineering uh, uh, is mine or uh, led the engineers to design that. Oh, man, that's very cool because let me tell you, there's nothing better than being able to go to a, one of those guides and, and, and scrolling through and figuring out where everything is. To, it was That's a great idea because it's hard to remember TV without it. It is. Yeah. Well, you remember that little uh, paperback uh, magazine that sat on your uh, mm. counter that you'd flip through and find the five channels at eight o'clock and say, right. what's on tonight? That's right. <laughs> or it was in the newspaper somewhere. And sometimes you'd be like, where's where's today's newspaper? We got to figure out what's on tonight. Uh, yes. yes. Um, all right. We're about to get into the, we want to get uh, into the geocaching. So, um, but let's talk a little bit about the re uh, restaurants. Sure. Uh, one other business I got involved in more as a hobby um, is uh, restaurants. Uh, I'm part owner of s several restaurants up in the Boston area, even though I now live in Florida. Right. And uh, the reason I mentioned this particularly because uh, partly because I love food and the restaurants, right. but uh, I started up a series of uh, geocaches in the Boston area as a tribute to the great chefs of Boston. That's awesome. And so uh, many of the restaurant chefs that I know uh, have had a geocache put out telling their story and uh, often placed near their restaurant um, and sometimes themed uh, to who they are, are or whatever. Um, it's been a little bit difficult. When I put out the series, I did not realize how often people or chefs change restaurants and their story keeps on growing. So uh, in, in most cases, it's the story of the chef up until the date I published the cache right. and not going back and try keeping it all updated. Right. That's a neat idea, though, and um, hope to find some where uh, Susan and I are hoping to go there in August to Boston and uh, visit some family. So I'll kind of try to slip by and see if uh, I'll check on some of those while we're there. So, um, so you've done also a series of classic game caches. Uh, you did several up in Massachusetts, I've, and some in Florida. Yeah, I've done actually two stories, uh, two series. Um, okay. I have uh, 20 uh, caches up in Massachusetts dedicated to the classic video games, mm -hmm. but down in Florida, I now have 45 caches. Um, they, they are all um, very well uh, customized to the individual video games. So very often uh, the container uh, has something to do with the video game. Uh, the location often has something to do with the video game. Mm -hmm. And many of them are puzzle ones that have to do with the video game. And so these are put out as a series. 
Uh, when I say a series, uh, they have a leaderboard, so you can see how you've done on the series. So that's people cool. Down, people down in Florida compete. Uh, I just put one out uh, a day ago, and there are seven people that are already uh, back at 100% uh, because the leaderboard shows that they have found all 45. And so when I post a new one, everyone goes running out to go get that right. because they want to be top of the leaderboard. Uh, and it's, it's a fascinating way, similar to challenge caches, of being able to drive people to do specific things. And so this series worked out quite well. Um, I originally published uh, one for Pac-Man uh, as my first one, mm -hmm. and it got rejected by the um, uh, reviewer oh, no. saying that <laughs> it's it's commercial based. Oh, no. And in some ways they were correct. Uh, Pac-Man still sells, and therefore you're promoting a current product. And so this one actually had to be appealed to headquarters and look at uh, what they deem as pop culture. And so all oh. of these video games are out of the 70s and 80s to make sure they're pop culture right. and not anything current. And so uh, that's why they're the classic video game series is to make sure they're games out of the 70s and 80s. And there are plenty of games there. Every now and then I actually force finding a game um, for example, I was walking through the local CVS uh, store here and saw a Mr. Potato Head. I said, what a great cash container. Right. So I had to Google it. And yes, back in the 80s, there was a Mr. Potato Head video game. And so there's now a Mr. Uh, Potato Head uh, video game series or cash in the video game series uh, with people being reminded to replace the ear or the eye when they go and sign the log. <laughs> That's awesome. So, so uh, Jesse, I, I saw you kind of perk up there. You talked about a leaderboard. What do you think? Yeah, and uh, I'm assuming that's on retiredguy.com, right? Yes, it is. And I know we're going to get into that, but I've been waiting patiently and quietly, and I'm so excited <laughs> to hear about your caching trip coming up and, and some of the caching you do because you cache like a dream of caching. Like I just, if I had all the time and, and if I just had my wish and like a little, you know, lamp to rub, you would describe it right here coming up. And I'm excited to hear about this. This is, I, I've been so nice and patient and quiet. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just jumping out of, jumping out of my seat over here and yeah. everybody will understand why in just a minute. This is, this is amazing. You just hit a goal that people don't even talk about realistically doing. Everybody says it, but nobody realistically talks about doing this. I don't even know how many people have done it, but do you want to uh, kind of let people in on what you've done recently? Sure. In January, I cashed, uh, I got a geocache on my seventh continent. Um, it was something that... Seven, um, seven continents. I, I had worked hard to get to six, and then uh, for... Our anniversary, we had a big anniversary this September. Uh, my wife mentioned that she would like to do a trip uh, to see either polar bears or penguins. <laughs> and uh, polar bears, I've already been up uh, north of the Arctic Circle. I've never actually seen a polar bear. But um, the penguins sounded quite good because it involved me getting down to Antarctica and getting a geocache down there and picking it up as my seventh continent. Uh, so off we went planning a trip to go down to Antarctica. Uh, 
also some Central America, or mm -hmm. sorry, South America, mm -hmm. uh, Falkland Islands, South Georgia Islands, and ended up three and a half weeks in January down uh, in the Southern Hemisphere, having a great time. Not only do I not have the magic lamp, <laughs> but uh, my wife is very adventurous and goes cashing with me, but she's already told me if we ever get the circumstances where I get to go to Antarctica, she'll just see me when she, when I get back. Because <laughs> she doesn't want any part <laughs> of that. Have fun, you know, oh, get killed on. by whatever polar monster is out there, but I'm not going. So, okay. Just uh, to correct you, there are no polar bears in Antarctica. No. Yeah. They're no polar bears. hemisphere only. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, but there'll be some kind of Yeti or something. Short, <laughs> yeah. Yeti. It's a Yeti. Yeti's going to come get me. On, on Antarctica. <laughs> Don't know if that's going to happen or not, but all right. Uh, so, but that's not seventh continent, but it's also you picked up a few more countries and it, there's a bunch of other really amazing stats for this trip, right? Correct. So um, the, the, the main trip started off us flying into Buenos Aires um, and then getting on a boat in the southern tip of Argentina, going to Falkland Islands, South Georgia Islands, both of which count as countries, and then on to Antarctica. And so that would have gotten me four countries, not to rest on just getting the four countries. When we flew into Buenos Aires, we got in at uh, six in the morning uh, my wife went off to the hotel to take the luggage there and uh, catch a little nap uh, since we just did an overnight flight. I caught the ferry across the bay to Uruguay uh, to get uh, a cache in Uruguay. I actually was able to get to the oldest cache in Uruguay. Um, nice. Fascinating. I speak no Spanish. I arrived uh, from the ferry just assuming I'd grab a taxi and find one that spoke English. Uh, but it was working with Google Translate on my phone. I had coverage at least, and telling the taxi cab driver what I was doing, or at least what I, what he thought I was doing. Mm -hmm. He drove me there, waited patiently, and I ran off to get the oldest cash in Uruguay. Ran back, hopped back on the ferry, and was there in time for dinner. So wow. that's awesome. Picked up Ur Uruguay that way. We went up uh, uh, to the falls, uh, Iguazu Falls, up on the very uh, northern tip of Argentina. And uh, the falls are in between uh, Argentina and Brazil. Uh, most of the people on the tour uh, just uh, saw it from the Argentina side, but I decided I need to see both sides of it. Crossed into Brazil uh, to see the falls there. Got a geocache while in Brazil. That's awesome. Ran across the footbridge uh, to get into Paraguay, since that was right there. there you it go. would have been a four-hour four wait uh, to get across by car. Uh, because the checkpoint was very, very slow. Uh, so I had hired a guide, and he said, let's just abandon the car and walk across. And so we walked across, grabbed a cash, and came back. He thinks I'm crazy, but I picked up Paraguay that way. You so ran from another country. <laughs> he did. We, we actually walked. Uh, walked it. but It was hot. Okay. So all in all, we picked up eight new countries on the trip, uh, my seventh continent, uh, we Once we landed in Buenos Aires, we logged uh, 8,400 miles uh, by uh, plane, by boat, by car, um, and uh, many, many, many penguins. Yes, and... Um... The penguins may come into a f may come into play later in the show. So mm, possibly, possibly. possibly. 
So how um, long did you, from very start, deciding you were going to do this trip, how long did you plan this trip? Probably took about uh, six months of planning. Um, what I did not understand at the time uh, was visa requirements uh, into uh, Paraguay and Brazil. Oh. Brazil was requiring uh, that they have your passport at the uh, embassy for as long as 20 business days or a month. And so I had to find a uh, blank spot in my travel uh, calendar, I know it sounds harsh, <laughs> um, hey. that I could not have my passport for a month um, and uh, hand it off. So over Christmas, uh, the Brazilian uh, embassy had my passport and I was quite scared it might come back uh, on their last promise date, which would be the day before we left for the trip. And I did not really have a backup plan of what happens there. Uh, Paraguay, however, returns your passport very, very quickly. It was an overnight deal and I was very impressed. Um, mm -hmm. But getting visas definitely added to the complications. And now in the notes, you mentioned that you got a special earth cash during this trip, right? Yes. Um, I only actually got, I believe, two caches in Antarctica. Uh, the first one was a physical cache. I try getting at least one physical cache everywhere I go mm -hmm. um, that, uh, that feels much better. I don't know exactly why. Uh, but there was an earth cache I really could not pass up. Um, it was called Deception Island Earth Cache. And Deception Island is this fascinating uh, place uh, off the Antarctic Peninsula where uh, it is almost a perfect circle of islands that go around with a little opening and the ship can go on in. And what you're actually going in to is a caldera of a volcano that is still somewhat active. Wow. And for some reason, the Earth Cache wanted to talk about the fact that this is an uh, active volcano and hence the water is uh, a little warmer. Mm. Um, I think they're kind of misleading things there. <laughs> it might have been 33 degrees versus 32 and a half or something like That's that. That's a little warmer. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Hang on a minute. You went into the water there, Doug? Well, the, the cache was a 5.5, five, and I'm looking going, it's an earth cache. We have a geologist aboard the boat. So I can, you know, if I can't find the answers online, if I can't read about them on the cache, uh, there's obviously no signs on land or anything talking about it. Right. So I, I figured I'd ask the ge a geologist and I'd be, get the answers to it. So that could be <laughs> the difficulty part, but um, I'm not really sure how I was getting a five terrain unless it was the fact that I was getting to there by boat. Um, then I read about it and it said requirement number one, take a photo with you and the volcano in Teflon, uh, Telephone Bay. Now that was easy enough. Yep. Um, I stood there, did a selfie, right. got the picture taken. Requirement two, take a photo of you and the ruins in Whalers Bay. Once again, pretty easy. No problem. Number three, take a photo with you swimming in Pendulum <laughs> Cove. And this is where I, Wait you know, a minute. Wow. The water is 33 degrees and there's a glacier sitting oh, in the back. Oh my gosh. So um, my, my wife was up for this. Uh, we got Just, up in the morning, uh, started doing shots of tequila, uh, <laughs> either to warm us up or to right. act as antifreeze in our body right. or liquid courage. Um, I donned a penguin bathing suit just to go with the occasion. 
Perfect. And we did a polar plunge where we uh, waded out into the water and then dove in and got back on shore as quickly as possible. Uh, a very rocky shore or rocky bottom. Uh, our, the reading I had done ahead of time about polar plunges said, be very, very careful. It won't feel that cold because you go numb so fast. Right. But you won't be able to feel the bottom as you're walking, and you can smash your toes on the rocks and everything. So oh. get out quickly. Oh, my gosh. So we yes. got out quickly, covered ourselves in blankets, uh, uh, did a, a shot of vodka to warm ourselves back up. <laughs> right. uh, there was a couple of Russians on board, and they were toasting with the vodka. Um, but we got our smiley. Uh, we accomplished the polar plunge. We even got a certificate from the uh, boat. Yes. Very cool. That's my kind of earth cash right there. <laughs> That's your kind of. So, yeah, get rid of the rest of them. Just keep that <laughs> Keep that one. So Sorry. if you're playing along at home, uh, it's GC115 Zone X, X File. Zone X File. And so. So it's come up a couple times in the chat room, and I was going to ask anyway, but are you aware of a webcam in Antarctica? I don't know if you were anywhere close to this at all. I, I was. Far, far, far away. Um, okay. Pro- probably my geography is awful, but probably as far away as New York is from California. Um, so just if, right if down the street. I mean, if it's a webcam, I'm I'm thinking. Mm-hmm. Of, I believe there's a webcam right at the South Pole. Uh, if that's one uh, that they're mm-hmm. referring to, it's never been um, found. Yeah, it's never, there's never been found. Oh, then I'm sorry. I'm, I don't know where it is. Uh, yeah, I know there's, there's a webcam right down there. It's never been found. It's watched by like I don't know. A lot of people probably thousands of people but nobody's ever actually been all the way to this webcam and it's still active it's been out there for a long time yeah i think it huh. is doug i think it's on the other side of antarctica so it's sort of on the asian side of if you want to think of it that way whereas you're on this you were at the south american portion of antarctica right. so, so, so so there's two entry points to south america that most tourists will uh, use one is going from south america uh the other is going from new zealand Mm-hmm. And if you want to get the oldest cache on the Antarctica Peninsula, you go from New Zealand. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did look at that also, and I was nowhere near. <laughs> not not uh, this you can trip. Get it on your next trip down there. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, well, that may be on his list. We're going to get into we're going to his list here in a minute. But yeah, I was uh, had to put this course in the notes. We were talking about this trip, but uh, so I sent a note to Doug. I was like, hey, you know, we're kind of preparing for the for the April first show, and he goes, hey, check this out. He sent me the photos. I was like, oh my gosh, this is incredible. It's like I, thirty three degree. I, I would do it, but then I'm thinking. I don't want to do it for very long. That's for sure. Like you said, so I'm sure you're wanting to get out as soon as you get in. Yeah. Other people have done it from the boat. And when you do it from the boat, they have the ship's doctor standing by and tie a rope around your waist. Wow. They'll exactly explain why, you know, uh, they haul you back in if you have a heart attack and the doctor's right there or what, but uh, it's a little worrisome. Right. I would say so. He did it. He did it probably a much better way, but, uh, well, uh, speaking of great travel, um, amstravelsales.com, they have uh, something special for Geocache Talk podcast listeners. They offer a special perk on cruises, tours, hotels, and resort stays uh, over three nights. Depending on the travel product you're interested in, and we'll 
uh, will take the form of a stateroom credit or a gift card. Just mention you heard about us on the Geocache Talk podcast. We submit your quote request or on schedule your 15-minute adventure planning session. And you go to amstravelsales.com forward slash page forward slash geocache talk for more details. So, and I've already got my eye on another part of AMS Travel Sales, the uh, Costa Rica trip, geocaching trip for next year. But yeah. we'll talk about that later. We've we got yeah. too much to talk about tonight. But we do. I'm slowly trying to wear down my CFO and get talk her into letting me, uh, letting us go on that trip. So travel to Costa Rica. We'll, we'll talk about that some other time. Yep. We're gonna we're gonna switch gears now. Talk a little bit about challenge caches because oh yeah, challenge caches are really cool and. Jesse and Doug are both uh, really geeked up about challenge caches. So <laughs> here we go. Uh, uh, I'm, challenge I'm, caches are great. I'm and getting there. I'm getting there. I'm. 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 I'm you're, you're. You're getting. You're liking them a little bit more now. I'm liking them more, and uh, I'm getting more excited about them. And um, when Doug was on the show uh, back on show twenty eight, I went and looked, and it's like. Oh, cool! I did qualify for one because I found one of Doug. It's so funny. I found Jesse's earth cash which he's not real a real f- fan of his own earth cash but i found his earth cash how, 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 uh, was it 10,000 9,000 somewhere around there 9,000 yes, feet 9 or 10,000 feet 9, nine or 10,000 feet and so i went and looked at yours and just immediately i found one it's like you got to find a uh, a cash of uh, more uh, greater than 9,000 whatever it is i was like cool i can do that so um but um we're, let's talk about some of the some of the challenge caches that are out there. Well, the ca- the cache you're referring to, I assume, is the two two mile high club. Yeah, uh, the, that's it. The, uh, there are three different ones uh, that I have out there. One is the one mile high club. Uh, the second is two mile high club, uh, and the uh, third is three mile high. Wow. Um, that's cool. And uh, to get to three mile high, I used uh, climbing Mount Kilimanjaro with my uh, oldest son. Uh, which is 19,320 feet or something like that. So right. it was well over three miles high. Wow. Mm. So I've talked about it many times on the show. I love challenge caches and stuff, but, uh, and I've done some and I put out a few, but nothing like you have. You've, uh, you've kind of taken it to that next level. You have not only put out a bunch of caches, but you've done some other stuff to go with it too. So uh, kind of tell us how you got that big into challenge caches. Well, I actually love challenge caches because they give us each uh, an ability to do our own style of geocaching, to look and say, all right, what am I going to do differently? Uh, if there was a geocache that said jump in water at 33 degrees or, uh, you know, down right. at 33 degrees, we'd probably all jump in the water and then claim a uh, challenge cache. You know, what would you do to get a uh, challenge cache? And uh, there, there are obviously very strict rules on the, uh, types of challenges that can be out there. Uh, but as you find different challenges you can put out, they really are great at getting people to jump through hoops that they would not do otherwise. Mm-hmm. And uh, provided they're not uh, overly um, boring or repetitive, uh, they can uh, cause all kinds of different styles of caching to say, I never thought of that. And I wish I had paid attention to challenges early on because it would have had me uh, look more for things like the oldest cache in countries or states. Um, I just started adding that to my to-do caching list 
very late, you know, a year and a half ago or two years ago mm -hmm. of saying, whenever I'm in a state, where's the oldest cache? Uh, should I go to it? Or are there any year 2000 caches around? Because I'd <laughs> like to get those. And so as I look at uh, the challenges, they often define how I want to geocache a little bit differently than just trying to up my number. Um, I really know I can't compete with some of the big numbers out there of just sheer number of finds. Uh, so I look at it in different ways where uh, my travels or uh, um, other things I care about will uh, lead to fun uh, adventures. And so what we did uh, about three, four years ago was to say, let's put together a string of challenge caches that can go out as a series where people can actually use it as a way to see uh, how many they can get. And right now uh, we have 152 ch uh, challenge caches in what we call the retired monkey challenge trail. Um, the retired came from uh, my name, retired guy. Right. And the monkey came from cute little fuzzy monkey. That's his actual geocaching name. Yes. I apologize. <laughs> um, he is a cacher who now lives in Texas, uh, but helps me uh, with the trail, uh, though uh, neither of us actually have to do the maintenance. So I'll get into that in a minute. Mm -hmm. um, so we have 152 caches out there out of about 300 that we have in an entire uh, trail with some geo art and some other things that's there. Uh, but 152 different challenges uh, that have been now found uh, uh, 26,000 times uh, of, oh of all the caches. Incredible. Uh, but what, but what we had fun doing is creating it as a series, uh, similar to what I did with the video games and with the chefs. We have a leaderboard and people can compete to see uh, who can have the most uh, of the challenge caches. Um, and uh, we list uh, probably the top 100 people on the leaderboard and people duke it out to see who can get to the very top and once again do silly things to just get that <laughs> next challenge signed off on. Um, yes. And uh, the leaderboard uh, is fun to get to see who can um, uh, claim top of it, not necessarily the top cacher, but top uh, challenge cacher as we've defined challenges. And what is fascinating is because two of us were putting out the caches, we have very, very different caching styles. Uh, cute little fuzzy monkey uh, caches uh, often very locally. Um, he originally lived in Florida and now lives in Texas, where I cache um, uh, throughout the world, as you've heard, mm -hmm. and uh, don't stay still for very long. So <laughs> he is very, very good at having long streaks. Uh, I think his streak is up to 13, 14, 1500 at this point uh, mm -hmm. of time. Uh, my longest streak is 31, uh, back when we had to get 31 souvenirs in yeah, that August. <laughs> right. And on day, day 32, I said, I'm out of this. I can't handle streaks. <laughs> Not anymore. So, I love it. So very, very different caching styles. Um, the other fun thing we got to do is we created a verification page. Uh, so if, if, uh, you want to see how many of them you already qualify for, you go to this page and Project GC uh, cranks out your stats against all 152 challenges and tells you you've qualified for number 7, 12, 38, 72, and 181. 
sorry, we don't have 181, but, um, right. but automatically does the checking for you. Um, and we did this prior uh, to uh, the requirement for uh, uh, checkers. Right. Uh, we work really hard also with Sloth 96 up in Boston to get checkers for all of these so that uh, you could see whether you qualified for each and every cash. And then the verification page was his idea of saying, would it be great if you could just see all of the uh, challenge caches you all already qualify for? And so we have the leaderboard, we have the verification page, we send out uh, free path tags uh, to anybody that's uh, attained certain milestones. So when you get 50 of them, you get 75 of them, you get 100 of them, 125 and 150, we have different path tags for each level uh, cool. that we send out uh, that are all uh, the uh, Retired Monkey Challenge Trail path tags. And they start off at uh, bronze and go all the way up to right. ruby or sapphire. Um, and then um, I mentioned maintaining. Uh, we realized that uh, we wanted to keep this thing perfectly maintained. Uh, it is frustrating to have uh, completed a challenge and then not be able to find the cache. Um, and so we started a uh, program that uh, about every two months, someone that is going to go do the challenge trail contacts us, they see us on the website, and we put out a note talking about maintenance runs, and we send a repair kit out to them that has oh, 40 cool. preforms, uh, 80 zip ties, uh, eight Tupperware containers, some uh, stamps uh, for the uh, letter boxes, a uh, whole bunch of logs, uh, uh, instructions uh, uh, based on Project GC, which uh, caches or suspect uh, might need repair, uh, might be a little bit damp, uh, whatever. And so uh, we have set it up such that the maintenance is done roughly every two or three months uh, by people that are doing the trail anyway. They contact us, we ship out a uh, kit to them, and therefore we've uh, gotten a trail that's been extremely well maintained. Uh, and that is something quite important to us. It frustrates me when I go through all the effort of uh, meeting a challenge or solving a mystery and then get there and the cache is not there oh, missing, yeah. in bad shape. So uh, the maintenance is working quite well. Um, I always do have to caution people that uh, it is in Florida along uh, the side of a rural highway. And it, when it is very, very wet out, uh, the side of the highway fills up with water. And we recommend bringing waders during that time and people, uh, often ask, what do you need waders for? Sometimes you need them all the way up to your thighs uh, to go get the caches. Sometimes they're nice dry parking uh, park grabs. Uh, so, but you uh, never know. <laughs> weather in Florida very much changes uh, right. how difficult you're rating of each of these caches. Right. No, you're right. That's, That's a very cool concept. I've done a lot of challenges and, and go after them a lot because I just I like the way it, it shapes the game and how we cache for a while. But I've never seen anything like this where there's a verification board or a leaderboard and a verification page. I love the leaderboard idea. That's That just adds a challenge to the challenges, which, you know, anything they put a leaderboard on, I'm so I already know I'm coming down there to sign some of these challenges. So. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I, I hope that catches on, actually. I hope people totally copy you and do that for other challenge trails out there. It would be so convenient and just add something extra to the game. It's a really cool idea. Well, it's been fun because people really do pay attention 
to see the completeness they can get on the trail to see which which ones are missing and then uh, go back and say, all right, so to get this, I need to find a cache, an oldest cache in another state, or I have to go find whatever it might be. And so it changes what they're going to do over the next couple of months and uh, gives them a different goal. I saw the leader currently is Mondo, who is from here in Colorado, and uh, but he's got 149. So nobody has all 152 right now. No, and this this is something that I think it will continue to reflect uh, the two different caching styles mm -hmm. uh, that Monkey and I have. Mm -hmm. uh, that uh, there are certain people that I think easily can get all of his, or certain people that can pretty easily get all of mine. Um, but it tends not to be the same set of people, mm -hmm. um, and uh, all of them are attainable. Uh, back even before it was a requirement we made sure that we obviously one of us uh had met the challenge uh but the reviewer down in florida uh viewed that the, that the definition of attain of attainable is that at least 10 floridian cashers have to have uh uh, uh the ability or have met that challenge mm -hmm. and uh, many of the Floridian cashers are actually uh, snowbirds, and they're down here part of the year, and that doesn't even count. So uh, g getting 10 to uh, complete each of them uh, is uh, rather challenging at times. And so some of the challenges got rejected because they were not uh, attainable by the uh, top Floridian cashers. So can you tell us what challenges got rejected then? Uh, no, because I'll just wait for them to get out there. <laughs> we well, are going to get a spoiler right there. I tried. Well, they, you can't blame me for well, trying. For, for example, I cannot uh, put out a cache uh, that requires seven uh, continents yet uh, because I have to show uh, 10 Floridian cachers that have found caches on all seven continents. Uh, I, I think right now our top is five uh, because even six did not qualify. Um, I, I don't remember whether that's correct or not, but uh, what we often do is we wait and then over time uh, as uh, cashers find more continents or whatever, we can add that on in. Um, the other difficulty one, um, we have uh, a souvenir based uh, cash and the requirement uh, out of co uh, corporate headquarters is that anybody has to be able to start today and get that number of souvenirs. So you cannot have all the uh, dated ones, you can't have all the event ones. So our highest is 120, I think, uh, souvenirs, uh, because you can only do the geographical ones as souvenirs that can count towards uh, a challenge. So right. um, uh, I'm up above 200 souvenirs, but uh, we can't put out a challenge on that because of the ruling. Right. I like what Tom Brotherman, Electric Waterboy, says in the in the uh, chat room. He says, I, I, I'll never use easy and cute little fuzzy monkey in the same sentence. So I guess maybe his cash, <laughs> maybe his caches aren't necessarily easy, but they're different. Cute little fuzzy monkey uh, does have a way of putting out some very difficult, particularly mystery caches. Uh, he also occasionally takes pride in putting out caches that – uh, for years, never have any finders. Oh my gosh! Uh, there's oh, wow. There is this uh, cache up in Melbourne, Florida, uh, that is at a gazebo that everyone has easy access to. Um, 
I think uh, Happy Hunter uh, from Sebastian down here has logged 38 DNFs on it already. Um, oh that wow. uh, people have threatened to burn it down, uh, do all kinds of things. But it's been there three years. It's this wood structure, and none of us can find it. And cute little fuzzy monkey just smiles. <laughs> That's funny. Awesome. Um, so is there some place you mentioned there's some people that have done the seven continents besides you. Is there any kind of leaderboard or any place anywhere where that's you can find out how many people have done that? I've never seen it anywhere. Um, to, to, on that specific one, I don't think so. Uh, a lot of the stats are on Project GC. So if you want to see who is the most souvenirs in the world or the most souvenirs in the United States, that can be seen or oh. the most number of countries found. Yep. Um, I don't think there's a way I know of of finding uh, the uh, number of people that have found seven continents. So when I test out whether I can submit that cache, what I have to do is write uh, a, uh, a, t a tag or a checker on Project GC right. and then start running it off of the top 100 or 200 geocachers in Florida, hoping that 10 of them have uh, gotten to that level. And so that's how I do it. I have to do it by hand right now. That's when I do my challenge. When I put out challenges, I do the same thing. And I generally have a list of people that I know in my area that will most likely be qualified for what type of challenge I'm putting out. Yeah. So if it's some extreme terrain stuff or if it's just a bunch or different types, you know the cashers that are probably going to be at the top of that list by the style anyway. So you have to just put them in by hand. There's no automated way that I've found either. Correct. We're going to... We're going to talk about the FTF magazine thing here in a minute. Let's continue on with the goals because I think that kind of fits in better. And so, Doug, we're we're going to come back to the the article because I I I'm enjoying that article, but we'll talk about that in a minute. Let's talk about your goals that you currently have because um, I think that's interesting. Sure. Um, when you asked me up and coming goals, I kind of started <laughs> listing them out or thinking about them. Right. Uh, so these were kind of created for the show. I think they were always in the back of my mind. Uh, but to try looking at uh, my style of caching and how I keep on working on them. Mm -hmm. So uh, the first thing I'm trying to do is get to my hundredth geocaching country. I'm at 90 right now. And I think I can pull it off by the end of the summer. Um, we have a couple trips planned, uh, one to St. Lucia for scuba diving. And uh, from there, uh, I'm gonna leave my wife for a couple of days, uh, hop to uh, Barbados and uh, Trinidad, St. Vincent, Grenady, uh, Granada, Martinique and Guadeloupe, uh, pick up caches in there and then meet back up and do a little more scuba diving in Barbados with her. Mm -hmm. uh, so uh, do a quick jumping around there. And then uh, I have a trip uh, in uh, late June to Vietnam planned. Um, and during then, I hope to cross into uh, Cambodia and maybe one or two other countries while there. And then I have a wedding in Ireland. And cool. I already have, already have Ireland. Uh, it's going to get me to Ulster, though, which is uh, one of the counties there that I do not have the souvenir for, or the only county I don't have the souvenir for. So I will head to Ulster. And then I noticed on a map that the Isle of Man is real close. Uh, so I'm going to figure out how to get to the Isle of Man while at that wedding um, <laughs> awesome. and get a new country in the Isle of Man. So that should get me to 100th, uh, my 100th geocaching country by the end of the summer, hopefully. So um, have you 
cashed in a country that they have not put a souvenir out for yet? Oh, many, many. Um, oh, okay. So you just got to wait on them to put the souvenirs out then. Yes. And I, I don't know whether they have intentions of putting them out for all countries. Um, in general, they're putting them out for uh, relatively uh, large population countries with a lot of geocachers in them or a lot of geocaches. I don't know which. Right. Um, there are a couple of bizarre ones. Malta. Um, I haven't gotten near. Uh, I'm trying to figure out what trip I might be able to do a side trip to Malta. I had to kind of look, okay, how do you get to Malta? <laughs> right. um, but most, most of them make sense. And so uh, the only ones I'm missing souvenirs on, and this is my next goal, is to try getting all the geographical uh, souvenirs. And so I'm missing Ulster mm -hmm. uh, in Ireland as a county. I'm missing most of Australia. Um, I've... Uh, uh, when I was caching, uh, or when I went to Australia, I've only gotten one in Sydney, and that is it. Uh, so I've got a ways to go to uh, uh, do a lap around Australia, and Australia is really, really big. Um, I've got Latvia, Finland, uh, Lithuania, Estonia, uh, and I think I could do those in one trip. South Korea, Thailand, Singapore, Malaysia, which uh, maybe when I'm in Vietnam, I can figure out a way to Mm -hmm. Go visit all those countries, and then I'll be stuck with Malta. I have to figure <laughs> out how to get to Malta sometime. So, uh, my last one may be Malta, unless they add more to the list. We'll see. I heard Malta's really gorgeous, by the way. I, I knew somebody actually went to Malta, so you know, it may be a good one to end with. It's supposed to be a really gorgeous place, so. Uh, well, right as I'm about to go to Malta, they will probably add some more and have right. a really obscure country I've never been close to. Right. Hey, it makes it fun. Um, so you're talking about oldest caches too before. This is kind of interesting list. I, I think you put together um, because this is something that Susan and I like to do, which is if we're in a if we're in a state, we're like, um, where is the old? Like we went to we went to Fourteener, uh, the 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 mega, and uh, we're got spends time with Jesse up there, and uh, went to Terry All because it's the oldest cache in Colorado now. Um, you know, we did that in Missouri. We went and grabbed the, the grab that one. Of course, Texas Mingo is too, too right? Mingo, oldest cache in Kansas. Yeah. Um, so you have um, an interesting list here. When I first looked at it, I forgot. This is actually a list of oldest geocaches. You've got 52. Well, the first part makes sense. 52 year 2000 geocaches so right. far. Right. And there's rough, roughly 115 last last I looked at. So I have roughly half of them. And I've really made it now that if I'm anywhere in the general area, I will go get that year 2000 cash. And I wish I was doing this years ago because mm. I cashed real close to many of these. And boy, I wish I had just climbed that mountain. <laughs> Geocaching regrets. We, we always talk about that, Jesse, don't we? We're just like, oh. Absolutely. You've, you've, he's, uh, Jesse's found some, some, a few obscure places, but, um, you've got, um, 28 U.S. states, not just the state, but we're talking about the oldest. So you've got 28 of the oldest caches in those U.S. states, 28. Correct. So that's so, cool. so, so what I, what I did, um, is I, cr I created in iCaching, um, uh, a couple of lists. The oldest cache in each state and the oldest cache in each country 
And then whenever I'm traveling anywhere, I bring up that map mm-hmm. and I see, oh, I'm really, really close to the oldest cache of so-and-so. And I also right. had the year two, all the year 2000 caches there. And so they create my detours on a trip uh, so that I will go get the oldest in a uh, state or oldest in the country. So I've got right now 28 different states that I've gotten the oldest one in. I've gotten 26 different countries. Um, and uh, I keep on always looking as I go to a country, where's the oldest one? Mm-hmm. If I'm bothering to enter that country, is the oldest one only 10 miles more or is it on the far other side of Antarctica? Right, right there, like in that case, yeah. Um, but that's a now. What, what do you, you mentioned something? What do you What are you using for that, Doug? To to eye cache, eye caching, uh, where I have a couple lists uh, that I brought into it. Um, Is that a website? Uh, so I have, uh, it's an app I run on my oh. Macintosh. Mm-hmm. Oh, cool. Okay, very cool. Eye caching. So. So it it really helps me visually just look at mm-hmm. uh, some of my travels. Um, so I use it for um, um, as I go into to an area, uh, a country, a state, or whatever, and, and make sure I'm not going to miss a year 2000 cash or right. oldest in or what or whatever. Well, that's cool. And uh, so I use it for that. Yeah. Um, and then for, uh, oldest cash, you get four four continents. And you're yeah, another open target another, of this year. Mm-hmm. Another big regret. Um, I was in Dublin uh, drinking beer at the Guinness factory with my brother, uh, and I think that's about 15 miles from the oldest in Europe. Oh um, yeah, yeah. Now uh, we'll be back in uh, Galway, uh, Ireland, for a wedding uh, this summer, and yes, I'll drive across to Dublin and finally <laughs> get uh, oldest in fifth uh, five continents. That's awesome. Uh, so. I'll be missing uh, 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 two, but uh, I'm still plugging along. Right. You're doing great, yeah. Um, so Jesse, you got something you wanted to bring up? Yeah, in from the-, the chat room, Owen from KC, uh, I think it was a few discussion points back, but he said, That's right. Uh, are you aware of GC105E, which is called Conch Shell Horn? It's not found yet from 2001. It's on a small island of Venezuela near Grenada. Um, I I am not heading there on this trip. Uh, when I was in, uh, when I was looking at uh, going in and out of Grenada, um, my flight plans uh, had me four hours in Grenada. Um, I did look at that cache and started drooling a little bit, uh, <laughs> but uh, could not figure out a reasonable way to get there. Um, it is on my list for maybe going to try at some point, uh, but I'm not going to probably make it on this trip. That's unless I got give to up be one of the date. oldest unfound caches out there. Yeah, I, I have not done much research on it. Uh, I did see it and said, uh, you know, is it even worth doing the research on and whatever? And uh, I can't get to it on this trip. So uh, mm-hmm. I've got some scuba diving to do. <laughs> that's a, that's That would be a pretty impressive feat too, but... That's you can only get to what you can get to, right? You right. can't get to everything yep. at one time. <laughs> but um, yeah, and so um, a couple other things you're going to do uh, as far as on the challenge side of things, you're you're hoping to get to increase the retired monkey challenge trail. You like you want to try to get to 175. Um, that's quite a few though this year. Are you is that that's not really maybe this year's goal, but you're just wanting to try to get it to 175. You think, Doug? Or 
Um, yeah, um, and, and maybe this year. Um, okay. there, there are a couple ways we can do it. Uh, both Monkey and I have um, done more caching, so we've qualified for more things. Mm-hmm. And so we'll probably find some new challenges that we'll add um, and boost the number through that. Uh, we've also uh, brought on a third partner, uh, Sloth96, uh, from Boston, cool. uh, who has been doing a lot of the programming for us, both of uh, the actual checkers and the verification page and helping automate the leaderboard and things like that. And uh, I'm about to turn him loose on his caching, caching style. And he loves collecting counties and weird stuff like that. Uh, so uh, by the time we're done, it will be interesting to see uh, what challenge caches he puts out that I know I will not qualify for. So it'll be interesting. <laughs> right. Very cool. Uh, and then you want to increase, of course, the video game classic series. Sounds really cool to add to add a few more to that, make it up to 50. Yeah, I, I view it's it's kind of fun to put out one every month or two. Mm-hmm. And it causes everybody that's at the very top of the leaderboard to go racing out to get <laughs> back to the top of the leaderboard. So uh, one published yesterday for Galaxion, um, oh. if you remember that game. Great game. Oh, yeah, um, absolutely, man. I love that game. And I got a nice miniature Galaxion cabinet that is now uh, strapped uh, uh, with uh, zip ties to something. And cool. in the bottom of it is uh, a preform that's been inserted inside. And it's, it's a nice little container. That's awesome. Nice. Uh, we're going to do, <clears throat> before we get into, I want to talk a little bit about the, um, uh, the article that's going to come out uh, in the uh, April FTF Magazine. One mm-hmm. of our great sponsors of Geocache Talk is FTF Magazine. In fact, Keith's going to be on the show uh, in a few weeks, so looking forward to that. But uh, we're going to do a couple things. We're gonna, I'm going to give away um, a coin live here, so get your, get your fingers ready, folks. Get, your, uh, get ready in the chat room to answer the question I'm going to give you. Um, And so here it comes. Uh, The question is, how many countries has Doug found a geocache in so far? So put your answers in the chat room. While we're waiting for the answers there, I will mention that we have an Instagram winner because we had a special giveaway on the Instagram. And the winner of that... Oh, we already got a winner. Oh, Walter. Yeah, three of them jumped in, almost four. Several people jumped in at the same time, but yeah. Walter was first. Walter the geocaching ham wins the win. So, um, Walter, send me... I think I already have it somewhere, but send me your address, and I will get that information to Doug so he can send you uh, a coin. So People were apparently paying attention. They like were 15 people jumped on immediately. They dove onto that. Curiosity Girl, good try. She did continents, which is really cool. Seven. Oh, good try It's just there. too fast. Typing too fast of what it I was. I know. I know. Houston, Te- Houston TX Dave was like, well, I'll try 91 since uh, everybody put 90. But uh, that's coming up uh, hopefully you know, very soon. But uh, um, So I do want to mention our Instagram winner. Um, this, this Again, we had 110 entries for that coin. And Rebecca Joyner won that one. I I, uh, I don't know if she made it, made it into the chat room tonight. What's funny was I sent her a note and I go, "Hey, um, you gonna watch the show tonight?" Because oh, I've been sick. I'm gonna I'm gonna definitely try to watch the show. I go, "Okay." That's all I said. I didn't want to give it too much away, but I was like, <laughs> "Yeah, you might want to catch tonight's show, uh, Rebecca." Because when 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 the contest first came out, Doug, she's like, "Oh my gosh, I want that coin so bad." I was like, "Well, <laughs> enter enter a contest, you may win." So. 
and then lastly, we've got one more. Um, uh, Doug was gracious to give us. Uh, we've got three uh, to give away. So um, uh, I'll get you also, Doug, Rebecca's information. She's in North Carolina, so she's not too far away from you. And we'll I'll get her address for you to send off. We have one last one to give away, and that's for our audio listeners. So if you're listening to this, sh- this show um, tomorrow which um, I got a note from somebody who lives in Great Britain um, who uh, wasn't going to make it tonight, uh, but they were going to listen tomorrow. And if you're listening anytime between now and Saturday, which would be uh, April 7th, by midnight on April 7th, you will need to have sent in your answer to this question, which is, on retiredguy.com, Doug mentions the number of penguins he encountered on his Antarctica trip. What is the exact number he counted? And I don't know how you did this, Doug, but you counted exactly a certain amount and put it on the website. So go check out retiredguy.com and send us to geocachetalk at gmail.com the answer to that question. And as we sort of get to the point of wrapping up tonight, um, Doug, you even have it right pretty close by to you, I think, is the FTF Magazine article. There he is right there. He's got it. The It's not even out yet. It's not even made the presses yet, Doug, and you've got one in your hand. That's awesome. Well, you've got a copy of it. Yeah, I, I printed out the uh, PDF that right. uh, Keith sent out. <laughs> yeah. But it's a fascinating so, article. So talk a little bit about about how that uh, why geocachers make great mates. So on a trip that I went on a year ago um, uh, to southern uh, Africa, uh, by the way, I picked up eight countries then. Oh, sweet. Um, That's awesome. Uh, my wife and I, retired girl, right. uh, went with another couple. And the other couple have been our marriage mentors uh, over our many, many years of marriage, mm-hmm. um, Paul and Virginia Friesen. And uh, they, I think, have claimed 25 or 30 geocaches in their uh, career. Uh, so they understand geocaching, but not, not much. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they're always up for an adventure. So when we landed in um, Johannesburg, uh, the first thing I did was uh, rent a car. My wife went to the hotel rent a car and ran off uh, to go see uh, Swaziland. Um, and uh, it was something that was being done to go get a geocache. And it started a, a conversation about how driven geocaching people are. And over dinner that night, we had the discussion, is geocaching good or bad? Does it affect marriages? because that's what they're concerned about. That's what they do as a profession. Mm -hmm. Um, And I have defended video games before. I defended television. I defended lots of hobbies and say the the hobby itself is not necessarily good or bad in terms of uh, a marriage or anything else, Uh, but you have to be very, very careful uh, about taking it to an excess. Uh, How much are you paying attention to your wife when you're running off at six in the morning to go geocaching right and that could be the same thing about golf or anything else and so we started talking about uh, how do you know where the boundaries are and whatever 
And so the article was first going to be, you know, how not to be a, uh, a geocacher that's hurting their marriage. And it, it was an awful topic. You know, you were going to scold everybody for uh, spending large amounts of time racing off to get an FTF uh, when they were supposed to do the dishes or whatever right. it might be. And that would not be a fun article. And I don't think no. people need to be reprimanded for that because I do that also. Um, so instead, we, we took a look at what geocachers do, uh, what what their drive is, uh, what their passion is, and make suggestions about saying, can you take the same energy that we put into geocaching, the same creativity, and also put that time in our in on our marriage? And so it turned out to be a wonderful article. Uh, it mm -hmm. is probably a bit long, uh, but we had a lot of content. And so, so Paul, Paul and Virginia, particularly Paul, drafted this where uh, it uh, asks why geocachers can make great mates and talks about all the characteristics of us, these rabid geocachers, and how we have such uh, persistence, drive, creativity, and reminds us that we should also be applying that towards our marriages and points out different ways we can be doing such things. So it was a fun article. Uh, I collaborated with Paul on this uh, in trying to correct some of the geocaching stuff. He did not exactly understand terms like phone a friend and whatever. So he's saying, so you're path, no, 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 you're right. phoning a friend. It, yeah, yeah, whatever. Uh, and correcting him on the terms and all that. But uh, we were together in uh, South Africa for two and a half weeks and he observed my obsession and uh, wrote an article about it. Uh, and uh, how it can affect marriages. So a fun article uh, that we put together, and uh, it's in this uh, month's uh, FTF magazine. Yeah, it's a it's a great read. Uh, I've read part of it. I, I want to. I definitely want to finish reading because so far I've I've gotten a real kick out of it. Because I think Doug, what's funny about or what's great about this article is some great some great advice and some great uh, idea. You know, some like he's talking about uh, marriage. Uh, items, uh, marriage things that you guys talk about in there, the creativity and, and different things. But uh, his observing you geocaching is pre it's awesome because it's like so Doug went and he did this and it's like I I can't believe we did this you know and so uh, <laughs> it's great. His uh, well, he, as he was writing the stories, I just said. Well, this will resonate with all geocachers because they're all just as crazy as I am. <laughs> exactly. And uh, it was fun uh, it, so far, the reads, but the read's been great. So, yes. I'm looking uh, forward to reading that one. Yeah, because, you know, we, uh, Su you know, Susan and I, you know, we, we, we geocache together and, and Jesse, you know, he goes out with his with his wife and kiddos uh, geocaching. So there is a lot to, to you know, and it it definitely resonates, I think, also with people that aren't married because there are things in there um, that, that talk about uh, just really their their characteristics that we should all sort of. Um, we need to all have really uh, qualities in our life, uh, you know, our willingness to seek, a, seek assistance, you know, um, and, and, you know, per, there's different things that I think there are qualities, Doug, in that article that I think are, are really sort of transcend um, wherever you're at relationship wise. I hope people enjoy reading it. Uh, I'm sure you'll all read it and relate uh, saying, yeah, I've done that too. <laughs> yes. So, um, 
you know, realize what strengths you have in geocaching and look at ways to apply that to your marriage or your relationship. Absolutely. Yep. Um, and so final last, last thing, um, I think you are in, uh, we didn't really get a chance to really kind of, uh, go through this, uh, beforehand, but are, are you still planning to go to, to Geo Woodstock this year? Yes. I'm yes, planning yes. on going. I have not booked anything yet, but okay. uh, I'll be there. Planning on, oh, that's awesome. So, uh, We'll get to see each other and uh, talk a little bit and um, looking forward to that. And uh, just, um, again, thanks, uh, Doug, for being on the show tonight. Um, just love hearing the stories. And I think everybody else does, too. I always get great, we always get great feedback uh, from from your experiences. So, uh, again, thank you so much. Uh, Jesse, do you have a final thing you wanted to mention? or? Yeah, just uh, we've talked about it on here, and I want to make sure we didn't gloss over it. Go to Retired Guy and mm-hmm. – you know, go to his website, go to retireguy.com and check out the leaderboard, check out the verification page. That is like the gold standard for challenge trails. And that's, that's great. If you're into challenges, you're going to absolutely love that page. Mm-hmm. I've been being distracted by playing with it the whole time so far tonight. <laughs> right. <laughs> Thinking, when do I get to get down to Florida next? Because that's great. The leader, I mean, that just adds a whole different challenges already add something to geocaching and you've taken it to another level, which is even more fun. So I hope everybody goes and checks that out, whether they're going to be in Florida anytime soon or not, just to, to see how that works. It's, it's great. So thanks for adding that extra challenge to the challenges. That's very cool. We definitely enjoy it. Yep. Uh, so coming up on the show um, next week, Ryan Semmel is going to be on. He was going to talk about the national trails system act, which is the 50th anniversary of the national trail system. And so he's going to be on and we have an, a special guest, uh, with him as well, who's who's part of that uh, in, involved with the uh, national trail system. Um, as we mentioned before, Keith Petrus, uh, FTF Magazine, he's going to be on in two weeks, and he's going to talk about how FTF Magazine survived a hurricane. Well, and other stuff, because uh, uh, he's got some new stuff coming out uh, within the magazine that we're going to talk about. Just um, Keith also is kind of fascinating. Uh, I got to sit down with him and uh, Jesse got to talk to him, too, a little bit. We got to see him at the Texas Challenge, uh, Texas Mega. And so I actually got to sit down and uh, talk with Keith a little bit about his trip to Spain. And uh, so it's been uh, really good to to talk to him, and uh, we just love uh, FTF Magazine and uh, really uh, uh, just wonderful sponsors that we have. And in three weeks, we're going to have on Nathan Lewis. He just finished a county trip. And the reason I say that is because he, he went all the way out to the Yuma Mega, but his plan was to just do counties along the way, and he, he tweeted out, uh, his whole trip. So we're going to talk about his planning of, of trying to find a cache in every county as he went through Texas all the way to Arizona. And then when he came back, he went through Oklahoma and just the process of what he went through to even plan to, to do that and not leave a hole behind, which is something that I, I tend to do is I'll, we'll find caches and they're like, Oh, nah. and it'll leave. So it's, it's I'm like, guilty of that too. <laughs> so, so my, if anybody looks at my County, cause I'm trying to get, you know, Susan and I want to really trying to work on all the counties in Texas. But if you look at it, my cat, my finds in Texas, are such a mishmash of counties. People are going like, well, you didn't even, you didn't even try to find stuff in, in consecutive <laughs> counties. Like, no, I didn't. I should have, but anyway. Uh, all right. Well, folks, we hope you enjoyed the show tonight. Uh, email us your comments at geocache talk at gmail.com. Uh, don't forget to follow us on Twitter 
at Geocache Talk. Uh, mine's at Gary Slinkard. Uh, we're also on Instagram, uh, Geocache Talk, guess one word, and uh, Memphis Mafia, all one word. Uh, I guess that's how that works on Instagram. Mm-hmm. Jesse, you're more of the Instagram yeah, it's expert. it's all one word. And um, our Facebook page is, of course, facebook.com forward slash Geocache Talk. Show can be found on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Podcastpedia. You look around, you can you probably find it. Uh, also, um, you can find it on Spotify now. And, of course, on our Geocache Talk website, you can find stuff there. So don't forget to click on that subscribe button below. And that's a good way to get a reminder uh, of uh, when the show is going to be on on a weekly basis. And tell your friends about the show. You know, we really are trying to, of course, expand uh, viewership and listenership, if that's a word. So definitely uh, tell people about it. So, um you know, that's important uh, for us to uh, get the word out. So, and until next week, don't just talk about geocaching. You know, do what Doug does, and that is go geocaching. <laughs> Good night, everybody. Good night. Good night. Good night.